It's opening weekend at the World Cup. The final data points are flowing in. The final discourses are flowing in. Teams are showing up. Players are doing their thing. I mean, it's time. It's finally time. Wow, we've been anticipating this for so long. It's this weekend. When you next hear from us after this podcast, games will have been played. We'll be able to talk about actual World Cup matches. It does not get better than this on the field. The whole world is awaiting Qatar-Ecuador. This is like my ideal scenario. Like the entire world is going to be with me on one of these terrible games between two bad teams for once. Usually I'm just, you know, out on my own island watching bad soccer. And now everybody's going to be like, it's Qatar-Ecuador. It's the World Cup. Let's do it. It's great. I love it. It's a, it's the perfect type of game for the two of us for this podcast. Yeah. And it's incredible that everyone's going to be watching. It's it's. Really good energy for us. We uh we still remember Russia five Saudi Arabia nil from four years ago, right? Yeah, of, of course. The uh, a much more adventurous Saudi team. Yeah, uh, I think we're gonna miss that Saudi Arabia team <laughs> with their uh thirty seconds of comp- ninety seconds of competence, and then just thirty seconds of disaster in yes. a single two minute span. This is the World Cup After Dark podcast. I'm Austin Miller. He's Amit Malik. On today's show. We are going to be throwing a lot at you because we haven't done a big pick show yet. So these are going to be all of our predictions for things that matter and also things that don't matter. And we'll also talk quickly about kind of the first couple of matches that we've got on the calendar. Real quick breakdown, nothing, nothing too in-depth. But first, admit, I, I talked about the data points in the little opening we did there. We got some data points this week, and I want to ask you if they matter. Ghana 2, Switzerland 0, does it matter? Germany 1, Oman 0, does it matter? Where are you at on the pre-World Cup friendlies mattering scale of things? I tend to lean that they don't matter that much. Mm-hmm. I think for many teams, it's hard to like get in gear when it doesn't count. Yep. I think uh, you know they're just acclimating often to playing together they're traveling there's a lot of stuff going on sometimes there's squad rotation sometimes there's not um sometimes we don't know if there's squad rotation yeah because you just see a score like it's really tricky and then you know you don't oftentimes like know how the game went sometimes you do i just i I don't put too much stock into them i do think they they're not they're not insignificant like they can tell us something like you said they're a data point uh very similar to like polling in forecasting elections like wow it matters some but like do you do we know how much it matters i don't know i'd be interesting to look back at every pre-world cup set of friendlies and be like i'm sure there's data points for this matter to that team and then it didn't matter to that team so like i'm not an expert enough to tell you i'm sure someone could but just on my feel i'm not going to put too much stock into it but uh, I still could take away something for all, all three of those results. So we can do that now. And I think it's just like a caveat, like, it could. We'll see. Right. I think I think it's also worth pointing out that this is a much different World Cup buildup, yeah. right? Because totally. most players were only released from their clubs a week ago. There wasn't kind of a longer two, two and a half, three week training camp buildup period where teams are playing two or three friendlies. We didn't get the traditional kind of swing of friendlies you know you play one send-off match against a bad team you try to challenge yourself once and then you play one other game you know we didn't get as much of teams kind of matching opposition to teams that are in their groups you know we saw a little bit of that Poland played Chile as a a Mexico Argentina kind of comparison Um, you know Switzerland played Ghana they have Cameroon in their group we saw some of that yeah I don't think it was as robust of a pre-world cup friendly period and I think that maybe means that there's less to be taken from this as well I agree with you those are all really good reasons why in a normal cycle you can read into it more because of kind of the building up of fixtures and all of that like it's just these are one-off or two-off games some of their best players are resting from having logged crazy uh, squad to- totals in their clubs like I think we're I think we're kind of on the same page on how much we read into them but I will say I feel a little bit better about Ghana today yeah knowing I that mean they beat Switzerland 2-0 right like, I, that's I a good data this. point for them it is I like Switzerland uh, as you heard on our last podcast I still like them I feel a little bit worse but I also more so come away thinking we we th- 
talked about the Ghana team having talent in the squad. Like, yep. they're not bad, and the group is open. Like, do I think they're the, the third best team in the group still? Yes, but it makes me feel better about their chances of beating one of the top two teams, Portugal or Uruguay, in that group. So, I, I, I totally it matters. I am, uh, I am also rubbing my hands together a little bit. If Germany are struggling 1-0 against Oman in a pre-World Cup friendly... Ooh, maybe, 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 probably not. Um, all right, let's get to some predictions. Here's how this is going to work. We came up with a bunch of different categories for predictions, and we are going to predict and react. It is the oldest and truest podcast bit out there. You've heard it on every show you've ever done or you've ever listened to. Amit, who is your World Cup dark horse? A uh, group we just talked about. I'm going to go with Uruguay. Okay. I think uh, – let's – I'll hear you. Give yours, and then we can react. Sure. Uh, I apparently have gotten all in on the Iran bandwagon. Kind of unintentionally, it just kind of happened, and now I've talked myself into it, and there's no going back. So I'm all in on the Iran bandwagon. I think you have a little more explaining to do, so you you can go first. (laughs) Uh, I may or may not have picked Iran to go to the World Cup semifinals. I feel 0% good about it, but I just had some things happen, and there was just no way out. So... I think Iran is fully capable of winning Group B. I think England is a weak power team from Europe. I don't think I'm buying the U.S. men's national team. I've never bought into Wales. I've talked about Iran on some of the shows that we've done. I think they're capable of winning the group. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to pick Iran to win the group. I also think Denmark are going to win their group. I think Denmark are going to beat France and win the group. And that could set up a potential Iran-Denmark quarterfinal. I also have Qatar getting out of their group in Group A. I think Qatar are going to be the second best team in Group A. They're going to get some combination of host bump, bad teams in the group, all of that. So I have an Iran-Qatar round of 16 match. All right, Iran, I think, can win that. I have an Iran-Denmark quarterfinal match. I think Iran can win that as well. And next thing you know, I have Iran in my World Cup semifinals. You don't have to be nice to me. You can tell me I'm dumb. It's fine. No, I I think all your reasoning behind every single part of those uh, outcomes yeah is is sound mm-hmm. i think the hard thing is a lot of those things happening if we're right. like because like chaos happens in world cups like i'm big on this train i'm big on this train and it's really hard to predict the chaos but it happens so like you're saying this is a chaotic if the world cup's going to be chaotic this Which could I totally happen because i agree denmark has a really good chance to come top of that group i agree Qatar can get out of that group in second. I think I have the hardest time seeing Iran finishing first, but yep. if that happened, there's no reason they couldn't beat Qatar and then Denmark. No, There's no reason that couldn't happen. That's the hardest part of it to me, but it's like, it's plausible. It's plausible. Yeah, it's the, the, the difficulty is just stacking all of those things together, right? It's yeah. Qatar finishing second, Iran winning the group, and Denmark winning the group, and then Iran also playing two good enough matches to get to the semifinals. And I understand that. Yeah, but I I like Iran uh, as a team. I do I do think, like... Somebody's going to cut, just just so you know, five years from now, you're going to apply for a job at the State Department, and some <laughs> white dude in a suit is going to be like, Amit Malik, brown guy, Philadelphia. I like Iran. Nope, fire. <laughs> you're done. That's it, right there. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of snippets like that on these yeah. podcasts that you could find, even sure. just going back to the, the first ones. I could think yeah. of a few in my head. But um, <laughs> I, what I, my last point on Iran is that with Carlos Caros's style, it is a little harder to stack results because he just okay. plays yep. such a limiting uh, big events type of game, and it relies on them being opportunistic. So I think it's much more likely for them to pull off one shock upset than it is to get multiple but the way we framed it is the only up like shock upset in that outcome is england like right you know they're better than wales we Which think they might not even need to beat like yes. they can hold england to a draw and win the group yes again so, i don't feel great about it it just kind of happened and now no, i'm mean, on the boat it's a, it's a dark horse pick that's the point yeah, it's a dark horse so pick. on uh uruguay you stuck uh, traditional yeah uruguay i think there are two it. traditional dark horses if you're thinking about teams that are clearly the second best in their group outside of their, uh, 
the outside of the top tier of contenders, right. but because they're in second, they're just going to be in the round of 16. And there are a bunch of other dark horse candidates, but the problem with all of them, uh, just to list a few, if you're thinking about Japan, yep. Canada, Morocco, Serbia, Switzerland, they all have a tougher path to just get to the round of 16. Right. So in that sense, it limits their chances. I think Uruguay and Denmark are the two clearest dark horse candidates. Yep. And I like Uruguay because... We talked about it on the Commonwealth podcast. They got a lot of talent. I think there's a really good chance that the vibes for Portugal are bad, something we've yeah. also talked about. Finishing top in their group would get them on the easier side of the bracket. I think they can make a run. Yeah. That's pretty much my reasoning for it. It's definitely much more like quote-unquote logical, but it's not like I'm grounding that in a ton of like, I think they're this much better or that much better than Denmark or any other team. I just like the way it could shake out for them. Yeah. And I do like their squad. Of so. course. Yeah. It's it's, a, it's that perfect combination of if the Portugal vibes are bad and Portugal are not good at this World Cup and Uruguay win their group, there's no reason they can't be quarterfinalists. There's really no reason they can't be semifinalists. So, yeah. yeah. And, and even on that note, if they finish second in their group and they get Brazil, uh, Brazil is a massive favorite as good as Uruguay are. But... You know, Brazil has been to penalty shootouts in the sure. World Cup uh, knockout stages before against yep. CONMEBOL teams. So yep. Chile and Colombia. So could happen. Could happen. Okay. Cool. Uh, who's going to be the breakout star of this World Cup? I left this blank on my predictions. I need to find one soon. I don't think it's going to count as a breakout star, but I'm going to go with Akimi from Morocco. I also think Morocco are going to have a good World Cup. I think they're set up well. Probably doesn't count as a breakout star. I think he's probably kind of already at that level, but I think he's going to have a really good World Cup. Yeah, what's hard with this one is the two I have, and the one I'm going with is uh, Pedri, who we talked about yep. on Spain, and my second is Musiala. Like all three of the dudes we just named are literally at three of the biggest clubs in the right. world. Hakimi yeah. is the right back for PSG. Uh, Pedri has one young player of the world already is at Barcelona and Musiala is at Bayern. So like breakout is tough, but they're young and maybe not as, or in, in Hakimi's case, he plays for Morocco. So like, yeah, they could have a run. The two, I have two names here that the little smaller club and by small, these are still champions league clubs, which is right. really funny, but I've got Eunice Musa for the U S Henry Bushnell talked about them in our USA yep. podcast. Uh, He's a guy that just poised for a leap. He has a lot of skill sets of an elite midfielder, and he's already at Valencia, so he could have a big fee if he plays well. And another guy we did mention is Noah Okafor, the yep. striker for Switzerland. Um, I saw some good discourse. He might not even start for them at striker because they have Briel and Bolo, but he could still get in the 11. He's yeah, 22. but if you're losing 2-0 to Ghana in a pre-World Cup friendly, I feel like the leash is going to be a bit smaller on Briel. Yeah, he'll definitely, he'll definitely get at least a start in three games. Yep. Uh, he's at uh, RB Salzburg. Uh, we all, we know, we've talked a little bit about the Red Bull philosophy and yep. all of that, but he's just a guy that's going to go for a lot of money. This is a this is a, a World Cup that could accelerate that. So those are some names in there. But specifically on Pedri, he's one of the best midfielders in the world already. If Spain make a run, he will be probably the driving force of it. All right, golden boot picks. We're going to do this in kind of two segments. The first golden boot is who is going to win the golden boot and you just take anybody. The second is make an argument for kind of a dark horse golden boot winner. So I think Lionel Messi is going to win the golden boot. This jibes with a lot of what I think about this World Cup. I think Argentina is going to win the World Cup. And I think Lionel Messi is their best player. He also takes penalties for them. He's also just incredibly good at playing football. So I think he's going to win the Golden Boot. Yeah, pretty sound case. Uh, I had to go with my guy, Harry Kane. No. <laughs> Who's going to let Harry Kane run straight and score and shoot? Nobody. No, but he's a penalty kick taker. Yep. He's a set-piece goal scorer. Uh, he has, he's done it before. Uh, even if England aren't incredible... Even if they if they play five games, that's probably enough. Even just getting to the quarterfinals, he can get to four or five goals. Like Wales is literally like Brighton yeah. or Bournemouth, yeah. and I've seen yeah. him score hat tricks against those teams. Yeah. <laughs> like Iran, if they score early and the yeah. game is open, he could totally grab For some sure. there. Like, yeah, I. I it, it's not rocket science. He's a good goal scorer. He's on a good team and he's designed to get on the end of a lot of chances. Um, is he like my favorite goal scorer pick? No, but like 
<laughs> I'm, I'm rolling with my guy once again. So you there just you go. Just wanted to make me mad. It's fine. It's fine. I, I understand. Think so. Who's a who's a dark horse name? For yeah. For so. Uh, I'm going back to this well again. I I'm dangerously teetering close on to the Spain like all yeah. in all the marbles in. Yeah, but you were a ju- big uh, big fan of Spain three Jordan zero the other day. I yeah, guess. I was. Uh, I kind of I like what Luis Enrique is saying. He's okay. he's feed he's feeding me what I want to hear. <laughs> I want to see someone go play all out attacking soccer and go for it. I'm enjoying it. And their striker is Alvaro Morata. He yep. he had a good Euro. He's a he's a good finisher. They're gonna create a lot of chances. Um, just to like, it, it, there's no guarantee he's gonna win or even come close. But if Spain have a good run, if he's scoring goals, yep. they could make a deep run if they get on the right side of the bracket. A lot of signs point to him. Have he's in position to to be in this golden boot conversation could totally backfire spain could yep. also get dumped out of this group uh much yep. more likely than argentina or england but yep. um yeah i i like him and then i'll let i'll let you go for your other guy in this kind of tier yeah so um i don't have one uh somebody dutch i don't know who's gonna be the dutch number nine but whoever yeah, it is uh, i'd like to put some money on them to be the golden boot winner yeah and i think that's kind of the problem right is that you don't know who it's going to be but things could break really well for whoever it is to be a potential golden boot winner. Um, I think I actually literally put some money on this Cody Gakpo guy from PSV Eindhoven, you know, 23 year old. Yeah. Um, De Jong could be a shot. Um, Luke, not Frankie. Yeah. Luke, uh, Frankie could too. Frankie could too. That's (laughs) Um, Depay has some ridiculously high odds for gold. He's, he's a good goal scoring winger. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think so. If you could tell me who is going to be the Netherlands' leading goal scorer, I would tell you that that wouldn't be a bad bet for Golden Boot. The problem is, yeah, you just don't know who it's going to be. To be uh, in the case of being thorough, not too thorough, but I think some other names here that if you were just listening Please, and you want yeah. some some help with Golden Boot odds, uh, Vinicius on Brazil. Yep. I mean, he's he's more of a goal scorer than Neymar. I yeah. know he's neither of them are their nines. So you could also, if you think you feel good about Richarlison or Gabby yeah. Jesus, sure. But Vinny's really good. He scores goals as a winger. He's they feed a lot of stuff his way because they run stuff through Neymar creatively. Um, and then if you like France, you could you could pick one of their goal scorers. They've yeah. got three really good ones, like Mbappe, Griezmann, Benzema. Sure. Um, so I think those are all. And then uh, last one, uh, if you like Argentina, but you maybe don't think Messi's going to score, Lautaro Martinez is getting a lot of steam. Uh, I could kind of get behind a little Angel Di Maria action as well. Really? Yeah. He's <laughs> I mean, he's, like, he's classman. Well. He is. He I is. know. He's been playing really well. Is, is he going to start for them, you think? I think so. Yeah. I, I think, think Argentina, yeah. I think they're going to go uh, with both Lautaro and Di Maria in the starting 11. Yeah. I mean, um, and you like the group a lot. Like, yes. Part of the key of goal scoring and being the golden boot is racking up the goals against bad teams. And you look at like Saudi Arabia, Poland, and Mexico, and that looks like some really good opportunities for those Argentine players. Yeah. So uh, I, I, think I like that's that one too. All right. Disappointment. We're going to have two different disappointments. We're going to have disappointment, big country edition, and then disappointment, dark horse edition. You know, those teams that you could throw out, oh, I think they're a dark horse, and then they're going to disappoint. Who is your big country that's going to disappoint at this World Cup? I've got one real answer and then a secondary answer. My real answer is France. Uh, you know, historically, teams that win the World Cup often do not get out of their group the next time around. Germany, Germany um, Spain. Yep. Uh, so, and France, did France get out of their group in 2010? France not, uh, not France. Sorry, Italy yeah. won in uh, 06. I don't know if they got out. I'd have to look. Whatever. France has a lot of expectations, but they do have a history of really catastrophic World Cups. They have a history of a lot of infighting and drama. Uh, I don't think they're going to not get out of their group. I think they uh, their group is a little too easy. Australia and Tunisia are two of the worst teams. Yep. But I think it's likely they, if they win, they're on a tough side of the bracket. Um, and... You know, they could bow out in the quarterfinals, uh, which would be disappointing for them. And then I do think there's a non-zero chance, as we've said, that Denmark pips them 
Um, yeah. Even though that would put them in the second side of the bracket. Well, the, no, no, the, no, 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 no. So if oh, Denmark wins the group, France would probably play Argentina in the round of 16. Oh, yeah. And we both like Argentina a little bit there. So, yeah. I, uh, yeah, France, for those reasons, um, it's not too, like, hating on them. I just think there's a lot of things that could go wrong. So and, uh, we saw it for them in the Euros. They, yeah. So are you guaranteed. going... Are you going on like the France meltdown disappointment scale or just like the France is just like one level below the, where they were four years ago and that cost them this type of disappointment? That's that's my type of disappointment. But I just think for a team that has such high expectations, yep. like they, they probably see themselves as favorites. I think a neutral has them third or fourth at worst in the tournament and I don't think they'll make the semifinals. Okay. And of all the other big countries, specifically... Argentina and Brazil, I think both of them will make the semifinals. For both of them, it's World Cup or bust, but if they make it, in my mind, that's not a disappointment. Right. That's just knockout soccer. And who was your other team? You said you had two here? Um, Belgium. <laughs> I mean, a big, you, you said big country edition. Yeah. I mean, they're they're a powerhouse, but yeah. they're just a little too old, a little too worn. I think it's, uh, likely they bow out in the quarterfinals or possibly before. Alright. Uh, I'm going with Europe. <laughs> All of it. Incredible. Outside of Spain. I think Spain are going to have a good World Cup, as we'll get to in a little bit. But I think you can make a case that this World Cup is going to be the most difficult World Cup for European teams in quite some time and potentially for quite some time in the future. I think it coming smack dab in the middle of the European club season is not an experience that those teams are used to. I think you have a lot of European teams that are relatively burnt out from everything that they've been doing lately, um, whether that's Nations League, playing the Euro obviously the whole worldwide pandemic thing. I think this set of European teams are the least motivated European teams at a World Cup in quite some time, right? And again, it's the World Cup. I'm not saying that they don't want to be there, but I think that extra 5% of want to might not be there for the European teams. So disappointment, big country, all of Europe, outside of Spain, still in Spain. I like that a lot. I really do. I think one thing that matters in terms of this whole little bit of extra want to is there's just been a malaise, a fatigue, yep. a tiredness of playing for all these European teams. Some of it is because it's currently this window that we're playing a Winter World Cup and they've really big clubs and a lot of them have been playing, a lot of these players have been playing a lot of Champions League football. That's not to say that Argentina and Brazil haven't, their players haven't, but it's just really wearing on them. And then, but specifically the fatigue at the national level, Nations League, I think is going to backfire for Europe at this World Cup. It yep. just, it really siloed them. It ran them through a lot of fixtures, a lot of boring fixtures. It didn't open them to prepare competition wise for what they're going to see at this World Cup. The qualifying process was rather easy for most of their teams. I think European qualifying is the easiest. Now they get the most teams and they have the best teams, so that's fair, but it just hasn't prepared them versus a lot of these other teams are a little more battle tested and I agree with you a little more hungry. It's hard to say that because it's a World Cup. I'm not we're not going to sit here and be right. like, "Oh, France isn't hungry, England isn't hungry." Of course they're hungry, but there's just a little bit of fatigue I think is going to show up. I'm with you on it. Uh, I also like Spain too, when they're still a European team. But uh, that's why what Enrique says is so refreshing. Yeah, gonna yeah. go, gonna go for it. It's yeah. awesome. Who is your kind of lesser tier dark horse? That uh, dark horse maybe isn't the right term for them, but you know what I mean. Your team that's not necessarily a big team that maybe there's some sort of expectations or whatever, and they're gonna have a disappointing World Cup. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Depending on it, like depending on your ca uh, categorization of it, I think Canada. This is, okay. they're not necessarily like my number one, but they're just, I don't think they're going to get out of their group. I think it's maybe as John Arnold said, a world cup too soon for them. I think Japan, I really want to see them get out of the group. Yeah. And I really like their chances, but the more I look at Germany and Spain, I'm really in love with their talent, their squads and their coaches. So a little bit of bias, maybe. But for like, their... I don't think I, I totally get what you're saying. That doesn't necessarily make them a disappointment, right? Right. Like I think Japan yeah. can have a thoroughly – like they can have a good group stage and not get out of the group. Like they can play well and they can impress and not get out of the group. Yeah. And that's why this question is kind of hard. Like it's not the yeah, best question we've I ever think, asked on this show. 
we have we probably have the same list of potential dark horse candidates right uh, and these are all in the second tier where even getting out of the group would be a pleasant surprise exactly. to most so saying they won't do that isn't saying that they're going to have a bad world cup i just don't think they're going to make that shock um the the thing is i started with with the first dark horse conversation is i thought i think they're two really good candidates and because i picked one my answer would technically be the other but yeah De- denmark are fine i I'm, I'm not i don't want to say they're going to disappoint i think they'll be they'll do what they they'll do what i expect right honestly. i think for me for this question i think i'm going to go with ecuador because i mm. think ecuador have a really good opportunity at this world cup and i just don't think they're going to live up to what they could be at this world cup and, and we've talked about it a lot of you know i've talked about it on a lot of different things i think they're going to play too defensive I think Ecuador might lose on Sunday against Qatar, and I think that's just going to send their World Cup into a spiral. Um, and again, there's not massive expectations of Ecuador. It's not like people are expecting them to make the quarterfinals, but I think they have a really good opportunity at this World Cup, and I don't think they're going to make it. And I guess apparently I can throw the United States in this conversation as well because I'm picking them to not get out of the group, which again, this is just another dumb thing about this Iran bandwagon that I'm on. The only thing I've said for four years that the United States was going to get four points and get out of the group and lose with the round of 16. And now finally rubber beats the road time. And I've backed off of all of it. Hey, Hey, there's a scenario where that happens for the U S and your on prediction comes true. It's, true. it's, it's true. not coming home. Not only is it not coming home, it got the flight left for without them in Qatar and they got stranded. <laughs> Did you see the thing? I think it was Declan Rice. Is this the England player who brought an empty suitcase to bring the World Cup back? I don't know if it was him specifically, but that story happened with someone. It might have been Grealish. It might have been... I don't know who it was. There was an England player who brought an empty suitcase to Qatar, and they made this whole big deal out of it about how he brought an empty suitcase to Qatar so he could bring the World Cup back home. It is Declan Rice. I googled England player empty suitcase. Declan Rice admits he's taking, in all caps... Empty suitcase to Qatar to bring home the World Cup. Who are you, Declan Rice? Like, what has given Declan Rice the ability to be like, yeah, man, I'm going to be the guy who's going to do that. Like, no, you're Declan Rice. Yeah, I mean, he's like their holding yeah. midfielder or backup yeah. holding midfielder at best. He's like their 12th most important player. Good, right. good for you, though. Empty you- suitcase gate. Could be potentially number one for this next question. What's going to be the most annoying discourse at this World Cup? Uh, I thought when we started our podcast, you had the best answer for this. It's VAR refereeing. Yep. If that happens, don't want to hear it. But my number one really answer is Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I've had enough of this man. I'm sorry. If he scores a hat trick against Ghana, if he has a good World Cup, it's going to be insufferable. It just is. He's so petulant. He has not earned a victory lap by any means, and I don't want to see him have it. And it's a shame because I really like Portugal's team, but I'm just... My sense of... Yes, I was a Messi fan for the greatest part of this debate of the last century, and now I'm salty about it. But please do not let this man have a good World Cup. Well, like, even if he has a bad World Cup, the discourse is going to be It's going to be annoying. Like, it'll it be is. more enjoyable because yeah. bad Ronaldo is more enjoyable than good Ronaldo. But the discourse is still going to be insufferable. Uh, I'm with me on the VAR originally. I think the whole World Cup in November, December discourse is going to get really old for me really soon. Like, whatever. It is what it is. It's happening. Like, oh, it's happening in the... Like, I I just don't get how it's that different from what usually happens. Like... At least it's still every four years, you know? like, it's fine. Get over it. They're playing in, in November and December. It happened. It's too late. Uh, most annoying player. I think, I think you kind of gave away your answer for this one with the last I, answer. I did, didn't I? Yeah. It's Ronaldo, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, he's totally, totally the most annoying player. Uh, I don't know. I just said it. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I could think of another if you want, but I'll let you go. If you have a different one. I don't, it's Ronaldo for me too. I'm in the same boat where it's just the inevitable Ghana hat trick has been haunting me ever since this group was announced. And it's just been building towards this crescendo with the more Ronaldo stories that we get with the Piers Morgan interview, with the rescission, with the rescinding of the contract by Manchester United. It's going to be insufferable. Yeah, he's going to I do guess, the, the cross fingers. <laughs> yeah, I got a spicy one here. Okay. Uh, I, in general, I don't like Kylian Mbappe. 
Okay. I think he leans a little more petulant, entitled superstar, but I he, he's nowhere near the the Ronaldo conversation. Right. Obviously, uh, he's a very very good player. He's possibly the best player in the world. So I like. I just think he. If France go bad, there could be a lot of bad body language and sulking. Which yeah. I'm not sure that's necessarily annoying, but he he could be. I don't. He could be. I I okay. just 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 a little bit. Just a little bit. I don't like him. Just a little. But we'll just a little. We'll little. file it away. We'll file it yeah. away. We'll come back yeah. to it if necessary. Uh, the first podcast you and I did in this pre World Cup segment of World Cup After Dark, we said that Argentina was going to win the World Cup. We've all said it. We've said it on pretty much every podcast since. Have you changed your mind? No, no, I haven't. I, I'm resigned to this fate. I don't want to, I don't want to change my mind, but I also, the more I think about it, I know it's not like the most reasonable. I saw someone from the athletics say it's the romantic pick because right. of Messi, because of everything. It's not a bad pick uh, on its merits. So I, that's why I'm sticking with it. Uh, the more I think about it, I like Brazil a little bit more, but uh, I think Brazil and Argentina, it's, very likely they're going to meet in the semifinal. I think the winner of that semifinal will win the World Cup. And it's too late now. I'm in. Yeah, Argentina. I think I think I kind of agree with you that in a vacuum and on paper, you probably like Brazil a little bit more. But with the knowledge that the path to the World Cup for those two teams more likely than not goes through each other in a semifinal, I think I might give the edge to Argentina there. And because of that, I think Argentina win the World Cup. And I think they beat Spain to do it. And it sounds like you think the same thing. We compared our notes beforehand. We both have Spain in the final, which uh, involves them finishing second in their group, I believe. Which, uh, just on odds, I think the odds makers have Spain a little bit better than Germany. Um, We haven't talked about it yet. 538 did their soccer predictions. I think 538 sports modeling is good. It's definitely not a be-all and end-all. And I think soccer is... One of the hardest sports to predict, but yep. for what it's worth, they had Spain as the second best team, second highest odds um, behind Brazil. So uh, that's not why I'm picking them in the final. I just, I for all the reasons I've said, but the fact that we both have an Argentina final, Argentina Spain final, should make all of you like run and not pick that. Yeah. But if it happens, we will gloat for a long yeah. time. If it happens, this podcast might go big time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come USA 2026, we might have a sponsor or something. Yeah. <laughs> incredible yeah too bad there's no like state sponsored air you know like qatar airways <laughs> just sponsoring everything with this world cup it's yeah. a shame that the u.s is so capitalistic that there's not like you know like <laughs> air u.s i know u.s airways like was a thing but it was never like the flag bearer yeah, yeah. it's a shame because they could sponsor us in 2026 um maybe air the- canada give us a call trudeau if you you know go down that authoritarian path and, and need some some content we'll do it um, all right, let's talk about the first couple of matches that we're going to get. We are planning on recording on Monday, so that'll be after kind of the first four matches that we get. So let's blow through these first four matches. This is probably the only time we're going to really kind of in-depth preview anything ahead of the knockout round because we're just going to be reacting to the insanity that we witness. But which of the first four games are you most excited for, and why is it obviously the U.S. men's national team? I'm American. I'm a U.S. men's national team fan. Sure. Uh, someone from the ringer or writing for the ringer, Leander, I can't say his last name. It's just a hard one, but, uh, he's a really good soccer writer. He's been around for a while. I encourage you to check out his Yahoo. He did. He's, he's been in the soccer game for a while. The, the thesis of his take was that the U S men's national team is like Schrodinger's cat. And we don't know if the cat is dead or alive until we open the box. And, uh, the first World Cup match in eight years playing Wales is like the best box opening you could ever have. And right. this is me, soccer fan, U.S. men's national team fan on Christmas opening my present. And I, it could be what I want. And it could be terribly terrible for me. But I'm so excited for it. I'm so excited to see U.S. men's national team. It's definitely a personal preference. I do think for that group, it's a big game in the group. Of course. Um, big first game. Yeah, big first game. I think, honestly... Uh, as a pure, pure neutral, maybe the maybe the first overall game is really important in Group A, uh, two teams that have a chance. But no, it's for me, it's the U.S. men's national team. I, I want to see them play. I'm very excited. Uh, bring it on. I mean, look, I think the great thing about the World Cup is that before the World Cup starts, 
you can go through every single match, in, at least me, and I, don't, I know that there are people who aren't like this, but, like, you go through every single match, and you, like, it's like, yeah, I'm excited for that. Like, oh, yeah, there's a reason to watch that. Like, before this podcast started, you and I were talking about what you were going to do for these 4 a.m. matches. And there's this narrative out there that, like, ah, it's fine. The the early matches in the U.S., like, ah, they're not the most attractive. And you go down the list, and it's like, but they are attractive. Like, yeah, I'm in on these matches. I want to watch everything. And so I think that's the thing about, like, it's hard to pick individual World Cup matches that are more exciting than the other because it's the World Cup. Every single match is cool, except for England and Belgium playing with nothing on the line twice in the same World Cup, right? Like, everything matters, and it's the World Cup, and it's fun. So, like, it was a bad question by me because it's, it's unfair to make anybody pick. But I'm going with England-Iran because apparently I'm all in on the Iran bandwagon now. Well, I think your argument for why every game matters, especially with the first set of games, is we need data points on all the teams yes, right. to, to learn about them, to see if our – check our priors, as they say – um, but for you, <laughs> Iran stock haver, they can put that on your uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. your background check down the line, Iran stock haver. But uh, for you, no big big game. So yeah, yeah big first game. You, you can talk yourself into any of these games being good. It's a good uh, good two days. Um, I like it all. All right, let's go quickly through some of these games. What type of opener do you think we're getting on Sunday between Ecuador and Qatar? Well, you've you've said this uh, pretty presciently, I think, that Ecuador is going to really pack it in. I think we also have talked about we are really intrigued to see what the home soil boost looks like for Qatar. Yep. So that leads to it being probably a KG match. Ecuador is going to sit back. Qatar is going to go at them. There'll be some action. Uh, I think this game will be incredible if there's a goal and there's 10, 20 minutes left, and a team is chasing a result, because both teams will be desperate. I think if it's 0-0 with 70 minutes to play, it's going to stink. Yeah. Uh, and I also, there was a, a reporter out there from Saudi Arabia who tweeted this take, and it's not corroborated, so I don't think this is official. I And I personally do not believe it, just saying that. So we're out there saying that he did say that uh, Qatar has bribed Ecuador to lose the game. Um, and, and by what score? One nil. Okay. Yeah, no. sure. Dude, the most yeah. likely result in this match is the one that has been bribed to happen is the home team winning one zero. Yeah. Congrats. Okay. It Go looked on. like a genius. Yeah. That being said, <laughs> that being said, I do think yeah. there's like a, there's like a really strong chance. Like in the 83rd minute after a dull game, we get like a, dubious handball in the box um which would be great theater either way listen we're just going to be happy to have the world cup back but uh i think a set piece goal early in this game would do wonders for it yeah Uh, it would be really fun to see both teams go after it i think one of the things that's really interesting about this game for me is this is the moment that this qatar team has been waiting for forever right like, this is the first time, with maybe the exception of South Africa in 2010, where a host nation has been built for the express purpose of hosting the World Cup, like the team itself, right? Like, Russia had World Cup experience, and they got the home soil boost and whatnot. Brazil were a favorite when they hosted the World Cup in 2014. And we all know how that went. But this exact moment, this game on Sunday for Qatar is the game that they have been building for and playing for since before they even got the World Cup, but specifically from since they got the World Cup. And so I think from that aspect, I think it makes it really intriguing because it's this moment that they've been waiting for and working towards for so long and have played so many matches. I'm with you. I think there's going to be a lot of adrenaline specifically for the Qatari team. Um, And listen, they've, they've done a good job of preparing themselves by playing in as many different tournaments as they can, which we've covered. So I don't think there's necessarily going to be nerves, but if there, if there is a home soil boost, if there's a connection with their fans in the building that you can feel, you'll see it. And that's what like, you know, I think the general public is not necessarily uh, clamoring to get behind this home team and like support them. So I'm not going to say people are excited for that, but I do think like as people that are interested to see if there's a home soil boost, this is a really big test case of that. And we both think Qatar's 
probably going to be on the front foot. It's going to be exciting. They're going to have a lot of adrenaline. It's going to be pretty um, crackling from the first minute, I'll yeah, say. Be- just be. because emotions running high. Like, sure. it should be fun. Yeah. Uh, next game, we already know my answer to this question, apparently. But can Iran get do enough against England to get a result, make life hard for Gareth Southgate's men, win the game, draw the game? or just make life hard or is England going to blow past them? Like many think they should or could. Uh, the answer is to, are they going to make life hard for England is a resounding 120% yes. Okay. Carlos Caros is like been like dreaming of Garrett Southgate's tactical setup at night and been like, these guys aren't going to commit numbers and I'm just leaving like everyone back. Have fun. Like, so until England decides that they want to go, like, try to score, which I think is really interesting from Southgate, like, how much he wants to commit in game one when he's traditionally conservative, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be miserable. And I think England are going to probably score, like, a set piece goal or, like, a long shot, maybe. And then they, it's not going to be easy. I, do, I think they win. But is it going to be easy? Is it going to, like, are they going to be frustrated? Yes. I just think Iran is well-suited for this game. They're well-drilled for this game. This matters a lot to them, as you talked about uh, in our One Big Question podcast. It's going to be going to be a tough one for England. Anyone who's telling you otherwise, like, doesn't know, like, what's coming from Carlos Caros, who we know what's coming from. I, uh, I appreciate that my big, bold World Cup prediction is going to be put to the test on the first day of full matches. In the first game! of full matches after the opener. So, you know, you're going to know whether you should put stock in what I have to say right away. I I think what makes this interesting and what I what I alluded to is that the longer it goes at 0-0, the more nervous Garrett Southgate's going to be and the more confident the Iran team's right. going to be. Because what Iran want is for you to leave them space because they have quality on both flanks. Down, they want down you to the... get mad and in getting yeah. mad, just throw everything forward, and then boom, hit out once that moment happens. And for that to happen, this has to go on for a while. It's not something that's going to happen in the first five, ten minutes. Right. They're going to be very patient, and that's what makes England an annoying opponent for Iran because Southgate is so reluctant to commit numbers forward. He often plays with five in the back. He often leaves his Declan Rice or Calvin Phillips deep to protect his center backs. Like, it's that's where it's interesting if it like opens up a little bit for Iran. Then they really got a shot. But, but also, uh, a completely dull, drab nil-nil is not a bad result for Iran. It's totally. probably a bad result for England. And so I think totally. that can also work in Iran's favor is that they don't have to win this match. They're going to have to win a match at some point if they're going to go through most likely. I don't think they're going to get through on three points with three draws. But this is not the match that they necessarily have to do it. And so because of that... If Southgate decides that he wants to play super conservative, like you said, Kados will say, have the ball, do what you want with it. If you're not going to send numbers at us, we don't care. We'll take this result. And I think that might not make this game very entertaining for a neutral, but I think it can make it very interesting from a tactical standpoint. With you completely. Uh, Maybe I'm listening to you too much and agreeing with you, but I think England's in for a bit of a rude awakening. That being said, it can be a nasty game, and I still think England can win. I think yeah. it'll be a second half set piece goal, maybe a center back, maybe Kane. I mean, we saw that against I think it was Tunisia, right in, yeah. in Russia, where England did not play well and they won the game with a late goal. So that yeah. could absolutely be what happens here. Yep. Um, Netherlands Senegal. We got the news that Sadio Mane is out for Senegal. Obviously, that's a huge, huge loss for them. It's a huge loss for the tournament. It's a huge loss, period. End of sentence. Um, is there enough in this Senegal team to trouble the Netherlands? And is there enough in the Netherlands to kind of stake their claim as the favorite we all think they are in Group A? I, I'm not feeling great about Senegal's attacking talent in this one without Mane. I think Senegal have plenty of defensive talent, and I think they are well-equipped to defend and make life miserable. But Which we've seen. Yep. Yeah, which we've seen. They, they're they really happy to junk it up. <laughs> they did it through qualifying. But uh, Netherlands have a lot of quality. They're really well drilled under Louis van Gaal. This is his third World Cup with this squad. 
I think it's a, a 1-0 it is likely Netherlands gets something and it maybe takes a while. Maybe they have to huff and puff. I think for Senegal, it's really important they don't take a beating in this game. Like they don't yep. chip two, three, four goals. Right. You need to keep it tight the whole time. It's going to be a little ugly, um, but I th- I think it's it's more likely than not that it's a 1-0 Netherlands than a 0-0 for Senegal. I think the Netherlands are going to win this game and I think they'll win it pretty easily. I think yeah. it's going to be not... multiple goals. I think it's two or three goals. I think that style that Senegal wants to play, it's really hard to commit to that style it, yep. in the in the sense of it's really hard to pull that off against a team that is as talented as the Netherlands. Yeah, are. they're relentless. There's a big difference between pulling that off against Egypt, which they did multiple times in you know African Cup of Nations and also in qualifying. And also pulling that off against a Netherlands team that's really well drilled and will be expecting it, right? Like, yeah. I don't think this is a Netherlands team that's going to be caught off guard if Senegal put a bunch of numbers behind the ball, if they try to frustrate them. I think the goal might come early, and I think when it comes early, I think that's going to really open things up. And I think the Dutch will win this game kind of 2-0, 3-0, 3-1 type affair. I can see it happening. We both think they're going to win. Um I, I, I'm with you that we're kind of down on Senegal, so why not? Yeah. So, all right. I don't know how we necessarily want to approach this. We've already gone on for 45 minutes here on this podcast, but we haven't talked the U.S. men's national team against Wales. I'm not going to leave you to break this down player by player, game by game. What is the one thing that you're looking for in this match, the data point that going into the match you most want to know? Well, we talk, we've talked a lot about this match. We talked specifically about yes. the dilemmas for the U.S. in their lineup selection and the way they play. And we talked already on this podcast about the whole Schrodinger's cat, U.S. men's national team thing. For me, the biggest data point is someone going to put the ball in the back of the net. Mm-hmm. I know Wales is going to make things frustrating. I know Wales is going to take USA out of their rhythm. I know the U.S. will be up for it because it's a big game, and they have always up for big games. Um, so Wales can do what they want. I think in the end of the day, the U.S. is going to get enough chances to win this game. The question is if, is if they're going to score them. And if they're wasteful, Wales is more than capable enough to steal a point or three, right? If this game is close, Bale can steal something with a moment of brilliance. Who knows what happens? But if they take care of their chances in front of goal it shouldn't shouldn't be i'm not saying it shouldn't be close it will be close but it it should be a win in this for the u.s big first game you know they they can survive this group without a win but this is the one where wales is the worst team in the group you got you got to start with three so yes is it ferreira is it sergeant up top is it haji right in a super sub cameo i want to see someone score is it Polisic or McKenney and or is it a set piece goal? I don't care how it gets done, but someone needs to finish the chances. It's like super reductive to say, but like that's what I that's what no, I'm looking I mean, for. I think that U- it, with this team, I think this team begs that question, right? Yeah, with what yeah. we've seen from this team recently, what we see within the squad, that is the question for them, right? Is who is going to score the goals and how will they score them? Yes. So that's what I want to see. And, you know, there's a scenario where Wales could punk the U.S. Like, I'm not writing that off, but I feel pretty good about the U.S.'s intensity and upper hand in this match. So it's a better question of if the one we talked about. So, but yeah, like, that's what I'm looking for. But, like, you're a little bit scared of the thought of Gareth Bale running at those fullbacks, right? Oh, totally. I mean, if Dest is starting and I think that Berhalter will start him because he needs him to break down a defense... Gareth Bale could hang out there. If Anthony Robinson's got one good ankle, Gareth Bale could hang out there. And he just, all, he he, do, he doesn't need to do anything for 80 minutes. Right. He doesn't need to do anything for 85 minutes. He just can chill. You know, he'll get the ball. He'll make a, he'll make some passes. Whale will keep the ball little. He'll have, they'll have like some possession, but not much. But all he needs is for the U.S. to make one mistake. Because that's his that's his class. Like I'm not saying Bale is the player he was. He's not going to control, exert his influence on a game. But what we literally just saw him do in the MLS Cup final was get one moment and take it against right. a like the Union are a good defense by MLS standards. That's what he does. So yes. yeah, of course I'm terrified of him. And that's what I mean by like 
Gareth Bale still has to be accounted for on the field. So we'll see. I'm just going to reach into my uh, my big bag of soccer cliches here and uh, pull out a uh, class is permanent, right? Yeah, class is permanent. Yeah, that's that's what that's what it is with Gareth Bale. And he's going to show that like I'm pretty sure he's going to have a few moments in this World Cup. I, I would really hope the U.S. are up by two when he has his in this yeah. game, if he does. That's like there, – There's obviously a lot here, and, and we could get on to it. I'm, I'm intrigued by the goalkeeping situation. You know, is Matt Turner actually 100%? I think that's super interesting. But I think my one thing that I would like to know, um, how does the U.S. play this match? Like, yeah. what is their approach to this match? How do they intend on winning this match? And – Kind of the sub question of that: How desperate are they to win this match? Not in the like, do they want it sense of yeah, things? Because that, I think that's a stupid way to look at it. How much do they commit to it? Exactly. Tactically, how much are they willing to risk in search of the three points here at the potential expense of gifting Wales three points on the other end? And I think that's the thing that I'd most like to know is. What is Burhalter's approach to this match? How does he expect, how does he want to get the three points? And, you know, if we get to that point 70, 75 minutes and he hasn't gotten them, where does he go then? And, and how desperate is he? Or is he content to kind of take a point and, and see what comes down the line? And I think that's that's a super interesting Yeah, part I think that's very, very interesting. I'm with you. I, I think the way this men's national team's temperament runs and the way Burhalter likes his players they are going to be aggressive in getting the three points yep. which should make for an exciting game if it's like that stage so I think they're going to be on the front foot because Wales wants that way and I don't think Burhalter is going to try to do something that the game's not asking for you got to play the game in front of you so they're going to go after it and I think that's going to make it fun man gotta be excited I'm ready oh, I'm- it's me on Christmas Day unwrapping my gift. And yeah, is the cat true. alive or dead? We'll see. <laughs> this was World Cup After Dark. There's no better finish than that. Is the cat alive or dead? Um, we will see you guys on Monday. We'll break down the, the first couple of matches that we get. And we'll work in kind of a every other day, maybe every day. I don't know. We'll see how the World Cup goes. We'll see how we feel. We'll record podcasts for you when we want to and when we can um we're both excited like we said look it's the world cup you have to be excited we got a great slate of games coming up every game has reason to watch every game brings this anticipate anticipation heading towards it so yeah we're looking forward to it it's gonna be a great couple weeks so stick right here for all of your world cup tomfoolery and nonsense we'll be back and we'll talk to you guys soon